But uh, we are back in Titus. So if you want to get your Bibles and turn to the New Testament, that little book of Titus, we will look at that. We're in Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 through 14. I don't know why uh, it seems to be very common. I've had a lot of people talk about having knee replacements and hip replacements and things. That seems to be sort of a common malady that people develop as they get older. I don't know why, uh, but it is. And uh, so I'm very fortunate that um, the, the other knee is the one that bothers me more right now. And that's just when I'm walking around. But uh, like you said in your prayer or the earlier, that maybe we will get that one taken care of before long too. Get both done so that you kind of walk around without having to, to be in pain or whatever. But anyway, God is good. I'm very, very thankful to Him. In the, the text that we're looking at, we're beginning in verses 11, chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. And I'm going to back up. Uh, as you probably are anticipating, it's been some time since I've been in this this passage here. I'm not even sure if I remember everything that we've said, so I'm going to kind of back up to kind of review a little bit on it and sort of get a running start. But we're in chapter 2, verses 11 through verse 14, and in that text, remember that we are looking at the subject of the, the provision of God for salvation. Uh, to deliver people from the, the penalty of their sin, the power of their sin, and the presence of their sin. So this, this passage is dealing with the issue of sin and how to take care of it, what to do about it. And that should say something, at least it does to me, about the seriousness of sin. Sin uh, is, is rebellion against the Lord and his will. The word sin, the single middle letter is I, and that is a good way of remembering what sin is. It's putting me before God, my will before God's will, and seeking to live for self. And uh, so Paul is writing to Titus here in this passage, and he's going to be talking about uh, God's provision for man's sin. Beginning in verse 11, we read those four verses to you. Paul writes to Titus, and he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. This is a passage that we should be familiar with. I've been kind of going through it back and forth, but here he is in this verse here. He talks about God's grace, the appearing there in uh, uh, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. He come, talks about the appearing of God's grace, God's grace being God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, Jesus, remember in John 14, where it talks in that passage, where it talks about uh, that Jesus, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it says that we saw his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Remember that? 
John testified about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he comes after me, is ranked higher than I, for he existed before me, for of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And so this passage is just introducing us to this subject of grace, which is this, this uh, coming of God's salvation. That's, a, that's kind of a synonym for uh, his salvation. Uh, Paul says in, in Acts 20, I testify solemnly of the grace of the gospel of the grace of God. God's gospel is a gospel about God's grace, his coming to us and his giving uh, himself and providing for us. And so that's kind of what this, this passage that we're looking at deals with, the coming of God's grace, the appearing of God's grace, uh, and his appearing of God's grace for us and for our salvation. The word appearing, by the way, uh, I thought was an interesting word there. I like to do these little studies about different words and what they mean when it talks about the appearing of God's grace. But it, it Weiss talks about this word, and uh, he, he talks about um, it means to show forth, to exhibit, to shine light upon a uh, surface or whatever. And sometimes it has to do with, with revealing something suddenly or unexpectedly but doing it in such a way that you're shining light upon it. And I, I kind of thought about it in terms of the sun breaking through. You have the on a cloudy day, it's overcast, you can see, but then all of a sudden the clouds open up and the sun breaks through. And that's sort of the picture here where in the Old Testament, you, we're aware of God's work and God's grace and his provision throughout. But then when the person of Jesus Christ comes and the shepherds make that announcement there to those, to those um, those angels make the announcement to the shepherds there in those hills outside of, of uh, Bethlehem. It's like the, the light opens up, the clouds pull back, and God's grace is becoming to be revealed in a fuller way than ever before. And so this is what we're looking at. This is the appearing, if you will, the grace of God and his, his appearing. Now let's just, let me, let me take a moment here with this text. Uh, we, we mentioned it before. I'm not my son is much better at the grammar than I am, but in looking at the text, I know that the very first word in that in our text, the English word for the grace of God has appeared, that word grammatically would be termed as a preposition. What that means is a preposition is a word that governs the relationship with what precedes that word for and the section of scripture we're looking at today that follows it. Think of it, at least I've tried to think of it as, you know what an hourglass is, where you have a, a, a glass bowl filled with like a sand or a powder, have a little bitty tiny opening or orifice, and then a big bowl at the bottom, and that sand just kind of falls through that little narrow opening. The, the preposition here is like that little narrow opening. And everything that's back in chapter one and chapter two is kind of regulated through that opening and then uh, is fulfilled or expressed in the passage that we're looking at today. So that this word, uh, we, could, we could say basically that what this preposition is telling us is that the things that are in chapter one and two are made possible by the appearing, 
by the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. So that this coming of God's grace and the appearing of his God's grace and deliverance that has been provided from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and from the presence of sin, all of that is what has made possible the things that Paul discussed in the earlier section in chapter one and two. What are those things? I don't want to belabor them in heaven because we've looked at that, but Paul introduces himself at the very beginning. Uh, verse one of Titus one says, Paul writes and says, I, uh, Paul, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, he describes himself in two terms, a bond servant. Moses was termed a bond servant in the Old Testament. In fact, Revelation calls him, well, calls Moses the bond servant of God. So he's using an Old Testament term there. And that Old Testament term is applied to Paul talking about some kind of authority that he has. And then he's also called an apostle of Jesus Christ, which is a term in the New Testament of an apostle of authority in the New Testament. Remember, Paul was, was, uh, was seen as a chief of sinners. He persecuted the church. In fact, he cast his vote when, when Christians were being put to death. He cast his vote against them as they were dying. And so he, was, he had a very severe attack against the church. And we know that that attack was primarily against Jesus, whom announced on the Damascus Road, I'm, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Remember that. And so here's Paul. What is it that made such a drastic change in his heart that changed him from being a persecutor to a supporter and a promoter of the gospel in the person of Jesus Christ? It's this coming of Christ. It's the gospel that Christ has provided. That has changed his life. That has made a difference. Um, I'm dealing with people. I, I talk to people and I deal with people who struggle with all kinds of habits and addictions in their lives that that sometimes dominate their lives. And the only thing that really can help with these addictions and these the things in which we can become enslaved is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what changes our heart. That's what changes our lives. That's what gives us direction. We, we cannot, we try to, and we try to use a lot of mechanical or uh, technical or programs, psychological programs, and different kinds of uh, medical attempts at solutions to these things. But the one thing that really provides the change is the gospel. It's the power of the gospel that uh, is available through Jesus Christ, because he comes in, he takes over our lives, and he changes us, and he begins to work. And that's what Paul is finding out. Here's Paul and the gospel has made a massive difference in his life as, as the Lord has gotten hold of him. Just like that the gospel should make a massive difference in our lives and change us and, and affect us. It's very important. And so here is this, this picture of this preposition here telling us that this, this provision for God's, for the sin, for the, 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 the payment, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin, this salvation that he has provided the appearing of his grace is that which changes us it changes paul made him a bond servant and made him an apostle and his paul then came not to persecute the church but to build the church he says he came for the faith of those chosen of god and not only for the faith of those but he came to help them gain a full knowledge of the truth is what he says for the full knowledge or the experiential knowledge of the truth 
which is according to godliness. So I'm going to stop at that point, but you can go through and you can read the massive changes that were made in the life of Paul and his ministry and his purpose and his function as he sought to work with those in the church to, to build their faith, to help them to grow, and to work with those who are described here in this, this verse here in the beginning of Titus as those chosen of God. Remember, he talked about that. We are those who are chosen of God. And that's that work of God in the lives of people choosing them is the miraculous work that comes about because of the grace of God, the salvation that he has provided. So now let's get back to verse 11. Um, knowing that what we're going to look at as reaching back to the chapter 1 and 2 to provide those things, just understanding that the effect of it, uh, we, we want to look at the effect that it has on us. And so he says, well, the grace of God has appeared. Remember that that word appeared has to do with shining light through the clouds and all of a sudden suddenly showing us this, this wonderful salvation that God has provided. The grace of God has appeared doing what? Bringing salvation to all men. That word salvation could be translated deliverance. Bringing deliverance. Deliverance from the penalty of sin. Deliverance from the the power of sin, deliverance from the presence of sin, God's salvation, God's um, grace has appeared, bringing this salvation to us. Jesus Christ, as Paul and Timothy, came into the world to save sinners. And that's the purpose of his ministry. That's what he came to do. He came to give his life a ransom for many. And so this salvation is the salvation that he has brought and made available to all of us. And that is the salvation that made the difference in Paul's life and made a difference in his ministry and should make a difference in us as well. We're all dead in trespasses and sins. Um, we know the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. We cannot understand these things. They're, these are things that are spiritually concerned. And it's only when we come to faith, it's only when God's work, God's salvation is applied to our lives that it begins to change us and to make us sensitive to the things that really matter. And so that's important to see, so that uh, we, we understand that here we are. And he says here in this text, just one more thing, and we'll go to the next section. He says here in this text that his salvation, this grace has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Probably, we don't want to see that as God's salvation being embracing all men, because we know that not all men are saved. We know that. We know many passages, John tells us, Jesus said in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him or compels him. And so we know that salvation is there and it's real, but that the Father has to open our hearts and brings us to himself, and he does that. And so this is, this is a picture here of this salvation that is available, not just to all men, <clears throat> but to all mankind. It's, it's available to humankind, it's available to the human race, so that if anyone hears and will respond, they can be saved. Aren't you glad? That's a good thought. That's a good thought. So um, first thing then, he came, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all mankind. It means that it has been provided to pay for the penalty of our sin. Now let's look at the second section in there, verse, the middle verse of verse 12. He says that this salvation, this grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men instructing us 
to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. You ever think about salvation as something that instructs you or teaches you? It does. It doesn't leave us stagnant. If we come to faith, now, I will agree, there are people that, that have come to Christ, they have believed the message of Christ, they believe the gospel, they believe that he died for their sins and stuff like that, but it has not impacted their hearts and lives. They believe it, they think that they're safe because they believe something in their head, but they have not really responded with their heart, they're not really responded with their life. And so they think they're safe, but they're not. And that's true, there are, that is true, that there are people like that, but the salvation that comes that Christ has provided affects our lives. It teaches us, it instructs us, and it makes an impact on our lives. And that's the second point here that he's going to be pointing out, is that the salvation that he's provided delivers us, not just from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin in our lives today as we live. It begins to deliver and make us more of what we ought to be. And it does two things in that text. Instructs us to deny and to live. One is negative. And one is positive. And I know we looked at that. I'm just going to go quickly through that. First of all, it instructs us. By the way, that word instructing us could be teaching us or training us or discipling us or disciplining us or punishing us or educating us or nurturing us. It's used in many ways like that in the New Testament. Instruct, instruct us to do things like that. Um, but this, this salvation is there teaching us and instructing us and making us uh, more of what we ought to be. And so it, it doesn't leave us alone. It doesn't leave us idle. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit works in our lives to, to teach us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, um, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. We have received the Spirit of God so that we might now be instructed. We might understand the things that are freely given to us by God, and we might, that He might impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit of by the Spirit, interpreting, here he is, interpreting spiritual thoughts to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. But he is not able to understand them because these are things that are spiritually concerned. These are things that we don't just understand intellectually, but that the, we have the Holy Spirit, and he enables us to understand and perceive these things so that we're not in, in darkness. We have right down in verse 16, verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 16, that same passage tells us that we have the mind of Christ. So we have it here in the Word, and have the Holy Spirit that teaches us this Word and helps us to understand that. That's why it's important that we be in the Word, that we study it, that we apply it, and it becomes part of our diet. And so this is, this is uh, important. So we are those who are, are dead in trespasses and sins, but... Uh, God has made us alive together in Christ, and uh, so it's by grace that we are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that any man should boast. We are those that are made alive by his spirit. 
Now, first of all, he says to deny, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Ungodliness is, um, we think of piety, a person is pious. Ungodliness is to be unpious, not to be uh, not pious, if you will, to be the reverse of that. But to deny means to say no. And so in this passage here, what he's saying here is that the, the salvation that God has provided teaches us to say no to ungodliness, teaches us to say no to wickedness, teaches us to say no to our, I don't want to say liberation, but uh, we like to do our own thing, don't we? We like to live our own life. We like to call our own shots. We like to, to uh, follow our own wishes in life. But when we do that, we are not growing. We are actually turning our back on the Lord and living life our way. And that will end up getting us in trouble. It always does. It ends up enslaving us. And, and uh, you become a, a basket case in which you need to do something to break that enslavement so that you can be free from that. And the longer you're in it, the more enslaved you become. And so uh, this salvation teaches us, first of all, to deny ungodliness, um, to deny um, unpiousness, if you will, uh, and also and, and uh, ungodliness or wickedness, we are to deny that. That's what the, the grace of God teaches us to do that. The uh, wrath of God, says Paul in Romans 1.18, which is one of the first places that's used in the New Testament, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So ungodliness is not, should not be part of our lives. And it's, it's something that the salvation that we have doesn't let us live comfortable with. And we're living just for self-centered purposes. God's call, God's work doesn't let us live comfortably in that. You see what we're saying? It's just, it doesn't, we don't, those don't coexist very well. The salvation that uh, God provides changes the heart. And in doing that, changes the life. It's a slow process many times, but it is a process that is real, and it takes, it's, it, it really happens. I want you to notice the words in 1 John to see that. John was writing to little children. He said, little children, make sure that no one deceives you. Listen to this. No one who practices righteousness, see, the one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. For well, the devil has sinned from the beginning, and the one who is born of God, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, God's seed, God's spirit abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. So the, the passage is telling us that the salvation that God has provided affects our lives and affects our hearts and makes a difference uh, in how we have to live. <clears throat> the example of the parable of the sower is a good example where you have uh, the soil that went out to sow the gospel. There are four kinds of soils representing four kinds of hearts. One of them is a hard soil, the pathway, the, soil, the seed falls, birds come and pick it up, it doesn't have effect. There are people who have hard hearts, so they can sit here, the gospel means nothing to them. They get out, walk out, go out the door, it has no effect whatsoever. But the other three, one of them is a heart that is not prepared, it's shallow, has rocks in it, and that represents the heart that receives the gospel, even with joy. But then hard times come, difficult times come, 
And the white is not prepared to accept that and to accept the gospel at that hard time. And they turn around and bail out and walk away. There are people like that. They hear the gospel. They receive it with joy. But then after when hard times come or difficulties come or trials come or sickness comes or whatever, they say, man, I don't want this. This is not for me. And they walk away. That's an evaluation of one kind of person. There's a second one where you have the soil is infected with weeds. The gospel is sown among the soil, but it's got weeds in there. And when the gospel begins to take root, weeds take root, and the weeds crowd out the gospel, so it's not fruitful. And what that is likened to is riches and wealth and pleasure in life that the person comes to know Christ, but then all of a sudden the wealth and the riches and the things, the things that mean a lot that uh, are attractive to them, crowd out the gospel so that it doesn't produce fruit. They, they believe they are a believer, but they don't have any, they have no fruit in their lives. And that's that's the one that, if I identify with any one of them, that's the one I identify with because it's easy for me because the world is attractive. The things of the world are attractive and it's easy to be sidetracked, to be attracted to those things. But I know that those things lead away from the gospel and away from the Lord and away from God. And so um, here's the, the, the parable of the sower out of the four, only one is genuine. It receives the seed and it provides fruit and uh, provides growth and so that's good the the term ungodliness um is a term that is just it can be used of cain and balaam and korah and to describe um disasters that come upon people who live for themselves they just they're just persistently living for them for their own selves and so he says this grace this salvation comes instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires worldly is the world system cosmos and uh, these desires are desires for the worldliness and remember john says love not the world the things that are in the world the man loves the world love of the father is not in and so he describes that worldly desires and he says deny ungodliness and deny these worldly desires which lead us astray lead us away from the lord and so uh the the uh, these things are passing away but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And that's, that's important. So deny, deny worldly desires, worldly longings, worldly lusts. Uh, that's the idea. That's the word, same word, desires or lusts or passions. And then secondly, in the positive side of that, not just to deny, but to live. And look at what he gives a list here of things. The first one is sensibly, which is a word that we have seen uh, one, two, three, four times in Timothy doing his overseer must be um, hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, uh, just. That's, that appears in Timothy and Titus five times. And the word sensible is just a word for being sober, um, having being sobriety and, and being sober minded and thinking seriously about life. Um, and, you know, I'm the worst, world's worst for clowning around and joking about things like that. But to be sober is a good thing. And, and the, Paul puts a premium on it with Titus in Titus 1.8, be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible. Titus 2.2, 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. Titus 2.5, uh, older women are to encourage the young women to be sensible, pure, working at home. Titus 2.6, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. You see what I mean? It's, it's there. And it's a serious thing to be sober-minded, to take life seriously, uh, and to, to break away from the things that enslave us and 
It's easy to be deceived by sin because sin deceives. And it, it makes us think that this is the best way, the most fulfilling life, the thing that brings the most pleasure. And it is not. It will lead us astray. It will lead us in trouble. Someone has said that sin will take us where we don't want to go. It'll leave us where we don't want to be. And it'll cost us more than we want to pay. And it will. It deceives us. It does devastating things to our lives. It's really dangerous. It's really harsh. And it deceives us. And so you don't want to give in to that. You want to be sensible. Think about life from the perspective of in uh, Luke 14, Jesus uh, told the disciples, he said, or told his followers, his audience, he said, if anyone wants to be my disciple and hate not his mother, father, wife, sister, brother, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You remember that passage? What he's saying there in that context is count the cost. Uh, we, don't, we don't have many passages that give a gospel invitation that invite us to count the cost, but there is that invitation there. And it's just saying, understand that when you come to Christ, what he's asking, he's asking more than just you bow your head and believe, but he's wanting your life. He's wanting you to consider seriously putting him first and following him. And I would to be honest with you, that's a heavy call. That really is. He's, ask, he's asking for everything and it's a heavy call, but it's the best call by far because lives that I've, I've told you, hospital rooms I've gone to where people are, are even wealthy people are, are there alone, dying by themselves now after a life lived self-indulgence. Now they are there, and everybody's gone. Everybody's forsaken. They're there with nothing, no hope. And the last few minutes of their life, they're gasping for somebody to just pay attention to them. It's a horrible, horrible thing, but it can happen. So think about life. Be sensible and evaluate your priorities in life and take the, the gospel and take Christ seriously. Secondly, under under that whole that discussion there about denying ourselves and living sensibly is also righteously. Righteously means to be upright, just doing what is right. Um, well, it's, used, it's translated righteous and doing what is right. And that's a good thing to know. You need to know your Bible, but that helps you understand what is right. Uh, if we practice, if we practice obedience, then we don't have to think about what is right or wrong, we will come by instinct. But if we don't, if we disobey, if we live for self, then more and more and more unrighteousness and self-centered goals and sinful goals will begin to take prominence in our lives and we will begin to favor more and more thinking in a perverted way what is good and not really being able to discern good from evil, you see. So it's important that we do that. He goes on to say not only righteousness, but godliness uh, the word godly has to do with piety, um, and we are to have that. We are to seek to be like Christ, and it, it, it does take some degree of, of intention, of purpose. The Lord says, all who desire to or want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If we want to do it and we pursue that, it will mean the world will not like us, and they will, they will treat us the way that they treated Christ. He says to do that. I'm kind of hurrying now because of the text and the time. He says to do that in this present age. Present is this now time, the time right now. The word age is not the best translation. Uh, it's a time. It's a present time is what the best way to see it is. And it's just time has to do with an extended period of time. He's just talking about this time we're on earth, this time when we're down here, to live your life now in this time um, with righteousness and sobriety 
and godliness uh, because it's going to affect so much more. It affects the effect of your life and the influence of your life as well. And so we want to take that seriously. And so that's what he says in this present age. Um, and so I guess we could sum that up here and then that kind of brings us, uh, we'll come to the last one and maybe we'll do that next time where we see the deliverance from the presence of sin. The last one here then is deliverance from the power of sin, deliverance from sin's power over your life, deliverance of, of, of its influence on your life because the salvation that he has provided instructs us, teaches us to deny ungodliness, deny these things, and to live sensibly and righteously and godly for him in this present time. It instructs us to do that. So I guess the question, the thing that, that it says to me as I'm looking at these things is uh, what kind of message does that say to me? What what is um, what is my response to these words when he's when he says there, God's grace has appeared bringing salvation to all men, that's the coming of Christ, bringing deliverance to all men, deliverance from the penalty of sin, and instructing us, teaching us that salvation that he has provided to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and God in this present age. That teaches us not only to, to take sin seriously, uh, but in the penalty of sin, but also to take the power of sin in our lives seriously. And we want to, we want to, We want to learn from the message of the gospel that sin is serious and we want, to, we want to deal with it in our lives. If we don't deal with it, we'll end up being enslaved. And, and listen, I know I, I have experienced slavery. I've seen it in people. I have people that struggle with that even to this day. And I've seen that it, sin does kill you. It will destroy your life. And so you need to take it seriously. Um, and so he's saying deliver from the penalty of sin and being delivered from the power of sin and all of that here. Then the next one is being delivered from the presence of sin. That is the future when we eventually will be away from the presence of sin completely. But that's future. And we'll look at that next time. Any thoughts or questions before we close the prayer? The only way we can know to divert from sin is by knowing what the salvation that you have provided, which in our text is termed the grace, the coming of your grace. Thank you for that. You didn't have to do that. You could have left us. We would have been lost forever. But you, because we are chosen, because we are your children, you have come and you have done this 
I pray that you will work in our hearts. Don't don't let us push you away. Because if, if you're speaking to our hearts and we push you away, you may not. We may live to be a hundred, but you may never come and knock on our hearts door again. We will be lost and lost forever. So don't let us treat this with, with casualty and fast and loose as if it didn't matter. It matters greatly. We are dealing with the living God and your truth is very important. And so I pray that you'll help us to apply these things and make them part of our lives, that you would do that. And you would make them part of our lives and help us to become more and more what you want us to be in Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name for Thanksgiving. Amen.